Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, March 24th, we are studying Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. Jesus continues his fifth discourse to his disciples in today's text. And today he turns specifically to answer the second questions that the disciples asked at the beginning of the chapter. They asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Jesus turns to answer that question today. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, it's great to be here. Pastor Danny, give us some some context. We're here in Jesus' fifth and final discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in the previous days, the text leading up to it. What what context do we need to know coming into the text today? Yeah, yeah. Um, where we're at right now in this discourse, uh, Jesus is, is going to start uh, shifting the focus off of that first question, uh, where he's talking about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, and we're going to begin at verse 36, and, and that's what actually what uh, uh, Dr. Jeff Gibbs in his book, Jerusalem and the Parousia, um, refers to as the hinge of this discourse between these two questions. Uh, and he's going to start shifting from the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem uh, to his return, his parousia, um, and how we should be watchful uh, for his coming and the end of the age. And so Jesus is going to go about now answering that question of, uh, of when will these things be? Um, what's, what's going to happen uh, uh, as, as your return is imminent? Uh, and and that's kind of where we're at here in the discourse of Matthew. Let's go ahead and take a look at the text then, and, and we'll hear verse 36 and talk about why it is this, this hinge of sorts. So Matthew 24, beginning at verse 36, Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions." But if that wicked servant says to himself, 
my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's the text for today, Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. So, Pastor Dandy, you said verse 36 is a key here, a hinge between the two sections of this discourse where Jesus transitions from answering one question of his disciples, what what are we talking about with the destruction of Jerusalem, and now to the second, the signs of his coming and the end of the age. How, how does verse 36 function as this hinge? Uh, well, it, it begins to take us off of Jerusalem and, and and starts to have us focus on the last day, uh, and and it points to that last day and says we don't know, uh, we don't know when this will be, and, and Jesus emphasizes that with two things in verse thirty six. Um, First, he, he says, uh, no one knows, uh, nor the, not the angels in heaven, not the Son, uh, but the Father only. And you see, this passage really highlights the mystery of the incarnation and, and those two natures of Christ, right? That, that Christ is, is fully God and, and yet fully man. And with that, there's a reality that Jesus, being the Son of God, is omniscient Lord, and yet he has limited knowledge of his return. And that, that kind of highlights the overarching reality that no man knows when Christ will return, not even the, the Son of Man, uh, that this is something that, that we do not see. And it, it lends a lot of gravity to everything Jesus is going to say in this, uh, from this point on in the discourse, um, uh, because... We have to be watchful. Uh, it, Jesus is exhorting the disciples um, uh, to be drawn into this urgent reality that they and we need to be ready for Christ's coming. Uh, because if Jesus doesn't even know the hour of his return, neither can we. And so we, we must absolutely be prepared. Uh, Jesus is coming back. Um, he has promised that he's going to do so, uh, and so we do not want to be caught unaware on the last day. Uh, there, and there's another uh, kind of nuance in that verse uh, that Jesus repeats um, in this discourse, um, and that is, is the use of the phrase, day and hour. Um, uh, day, hemera, and hour, hora. Um, are, are two terms that kind of designate time, right? And, and a day, and uh, the word hemera in Greek, is a definite time. It is a day. Um, uh, and so there's going to be a definite time in which Christ returns. It will be a day, and that day will come. But then there's also this word used for our, uh, hora in Greek, and that's a lot more open. It's a less definite time. Right, um, and so it can mean hour, but it also can mean instant, day, season, or just the word time in general. And so we're going to see day and hour throughout this discourse from this point on. Uh, it's going to be used again um, uh, in chapter 25, verse 13, and it's going to emphasize that the exact point in time of the parousia is unknowable to us that it's going to be a specific point in time, but 
we can't point to it and say, that's the day it's going to be. And so the disciples are are asking for signs of the end of the age, and and the answer that Jesus is giving them, uh, beginning at verse 36, is there, there is going to be no sign. Be ready. Um, so in verse 36, Jesus is telling us to, to be on watch, remain faithful, because he could come at any time, and we don't want to be uh, left unprepared for his coming. We don't want to be um, uh, left uh, as a fool, um, as we're going to see later on in the text. Uh, at the coming of Christ. Hmm. Right. And this is this is a stark contrast between what we've seen so far in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus has told his disciples certain things that, that will definitely happen prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And he tells them for the purpose of them fleeing the city before that destruction happens to, to save them. And, and when it comes to his return, as we will see, there are things that we know will be going on prior to Christ's return. For example, and we'll get into this when we talk about the days of Noah, but there will be unbelievers prior to Christ's return. And so when we see unbelief around us, we should know that, yes, we are prior to Christ's return, but not for the purpose, as you said, of knowing any sort of specifics. We simply know that it's coming, and it is coming at a time we don't know. So be prepared is is going to be the, the thrust of this section moving forward from verse 36, really through the end of, of this discourse going on into chapter 25. So, Pastor Dandy, take us then into the, the first example that Jesus brings up. In verse 37, he starts talking about, he makes a comparison to the days of Noah. Why does Jesus bring up the days of Noah as he begins to talk about his return on the last day? Yeah, and so he, he starts calling us back to the days of Noah because Jesus is warning us not to be caught unaware because there is a comparison between the flood and the last day. Uh, and, and the first comparison that we see is the wickedness of the generation of the days of Noah. Um, you know, we, we see that, uh, um, there, that God, it, it becomes so wicked that, that God um, regrets that he even makes man upon the earth, that he, he, he laments the faithlessness, faithlessness of man. And so we see that the wickedness of the time of Noah is more than just a bunch of moral failings, right? Um, there are those. Um, certainly um, uh, those, those did exist um, with sinners being what they are. But it, it's also kind of what, what Linsky calls in his commentary an ungodly, guilty, and damnable blindness. Uh, there's, there's nothing but deaf ears and obdurate, unrepentant hearts. And so, um, when trying to picture this in my head, um, and, and try and kind of put a place on what the days of Noah would have been like, um, for me, it's been helpful to think about it in terms of, uh, Psalm, Psalm 14, where it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And, and the Psalm goes on to talk about the wicked deeds of the God-denying fools, that are all wicked, and yet that wickedness flows from something, right? Um, and it's the idea that there is no God above them who is ultimately going to hold them to account, because if there is no God who is going to judge us according to our deeds, 
then there's no need to worry about what we do and, and really who we harm because there is no ultimate final justice. And so as we think about this and we say to ourselves, oh, there is no God, well, then our conceptions of love will become self-serving. Um, and, and any behavior could be excused because all we need to do is justify our actions in some way, right? Where, where it can be, you know, I steal from my neighbor. Well, I needed it more than him, so I can take it. Or, um, you know, I, I punch my brother in the eye. Well, he deserved it. He had it coming. It was right for me to do that. Um, and all of a sudden, justice becomes a subjective thing, and I become the ruler of justice because there's no God above me. And also along with that, if there's no God above me who will act as a judge over all my deeds, uh, well, why would I want to be found acceptable in his sight? But then there's the second problem that the fool who says there is no God has, and that's because he doesn't know that there is a God who is gracious. You see, God wants to be gracious. He wants to be known by his grace. And that's, that's the, the thing that we learn in God sending Christ, right, uh, is that God wants to be known by his love and his grace to creation. You know, um, that, that as Jesus enters into the creation, God is giving us his ultimate revelation of himself. So to say that there is no God is to, to, to miss out doubly. And and that's really the description that um, I think of when I think of the days of Noah is this, this Psalm 14 reality um, that that each man goes his own way. He becomes the master of what he thinks is right. He consumes his neighbor in hatred, um, uh, and and they act and we act in ignorance of there being a God over us who a judges us rightly and will hold us to account for our deeds, but also demonstrates his grace to creation by sending his Son into the world. And so the last days are going to be this time where, where people are, are willfully blind to God's will for creation, God's order over all things, uh, <coughs> and, and then ultimately God's love for us in Jesus. Um, and it, it's it's really a willful blindness. It's a willful deafness. It's a willful hardening of heart uh, that will exist in the last days. Um, and I think if you look through any time in creation, you're going to find that attitude existing, of course. Um, but the point that, that Jesus is emphasizing here is that those people at the time of Noah those people at the generation of the time of Noah, they were caught completely unaware. Uh, and they were swept away and destroyed as they were just kind of going about their business as usual. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying in willful ignorance of God and uh, willful uh, defiance of God. Uh, and, and so they were, they were swept away. Um, and so Jesus talks about this uh, um, in kind of stark terms where, you know, there was only one family redeemed in the times of Noah. 
and and so it will be that there there will be those who are redeemed uh, in the in the time of Christ's return in the last day, uh, and then there will be those who are left. And so you'll have uh, these two examples of uh, two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left, and two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one will be left. Now. We, we have a lot of theologians out there in modern American Christianity who want to kind of equate that to a rapture-type event, right, where where uh, poof, uh, one's gone and the other's left, and then you get the tribulation and all that stuff. But I don't think that's the point Jesus is trying to make. But if we read that uh, passage that Jesus is giving um, in light of uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Peter, right, um, in First Thessalonians, um, chapter five, uh, we get this this wonderful image of uh, the day that Christ is coming, right? Um, uh, and he comes like a thief, thief in the night. All of these things, but then we also see that that Christ coming, uh, the the faithful will be lifted up, right? The faithful will be taken. Right? And so this, this comes like a thief in the night, it comes rapidly, it comes like a surprise, but, but who is taken? It's the faithful. Um, but then we get to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, right? Uh, it says it'll come like a thief, the heavens will roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done on it will be laid bare, Right? And, and that gives us this image that as as the faithful are taken to be with Christ, as as the dead are raised first, and then the faithful are taken to be with Jesus, and we are lifted up to be with him forever, right? The creation below is destroyed by fire. It's left in destruction. And so when we, we think about, okay, one is taken and one is left, right? Well, on the last day... Uh, those who remain faithful to Christ will be taken to be with him, but those who are left um, uh, uh, left behind, not to use that term in terms of the uh, um, uh, books and movies and stuff, but those who are left behind are left for the complete and total destruction of the world uh, and, and left um, for their kind of eternal damnation, Right. Um, and so those who will be taken will be lifted up with Christ, and those remaining will be left for destruction with the rest of creation and, and ultimately um, uh, for eternal separation from God and his mercy. Uh, and so in this, this first bit, we have the willful ignorance and the obdurate hearts of those who will simply not acknowledge God over them, either as, as judge and Lord or Savior, and and rescuer and uh, the one who forgives their sins, uh, and so because of that, um, uh, they are left for destruction, uh, and so warns us against that. Right. The, again, the the theme of being ready, and and the the way Jesus describes those days of Noah. Look, life was just going on like it usually does: eating, drinking, marrying, giving, and marriage, but. But those who, and I love the way you, you talked about Psalm 14 there, Pastor Dandy, and, and the doubly 
the, the way you doubly miss everything that God has if you if you don't acknowledge Him. That that not only do you miss the the accountability that He gives, that that He is is your judge, and therefore your so you miss His law, but but ultimately you miss His gospel that that He has come in grace to save you. And and when you think about the days of Noah, I mean we we know from you brought up Second Peter earlier in Second Peter. Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness, that, that yeah. Noah would have been preaching the good news to those people, and, and they, didn't, they didn't believe. So it's not only that the, the tragedy of the situation is not only that, that they, they end up with, with judgment and they're, they're destroyed, but that the Lord had preached the word to them and, and they rejected it. There's the, the real tragedy, I think. Yeah, and it... Um it kind of breaks the heart to think about it as as we live in the world today, you know, because we all encounter those people who we we share the gospel with 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 great love and great urgency. Um, we all encounter those people in our lives that we we simply have nothing left to do but pray that God would soften their hearts to the Word of God. Um, you know, uh, and. This 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 makes the the return of Christ and the judgment of Christ uh, very real, right? Um, and so I think this serves first as a rebuke against the world, but it also serves as a warning towards us, um, lest we grow complacent in the faith, uh, lest we, you know, begin to fool ourselves that it's it's okay to habitually uh, neglect the means of grace and the Word of God. Uh, that it's okay to to be thoughtless about um, our actions and our thoughts and and what we consume in this world, uh, because there are things out there that can consume your faith, that can destroy your faith. And as we live as the people of God, we have to be aware of that danger uh, going forward in life, because you know. When you stop going to church, uh, your, your life in general probably doesn't feel all that different. Your 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 life in general, uh, you know, you get that free hour of time. You get people who stop asking you to volunteer for stuff. You know, you um, get to, to go to these fun events on Sunday that you want to do, or you get that extra sleep so you feel better throughout the week or, or whatever. Uh, and you go about business as usual, but you're losing something. Um, and and not to say that, you know, skipping church is going to make you into an unbeliever, but habitually skipping church can harm your faith in the long run, and it certainly can harm the faith of the next generation. Um, as we think about that, um, you know, if if I bring my children to church once a month, you know, chances are my children will probably come to church once a year. Um, if I don't discuss the faith at home and appeal to the means of grace around my family, um, uh, you know, my children are going to think that that's just not part of life and it's it's not something that's important. And and so we should always be ready and and be on uh, be prepared. We should always, um, as as it says in Deuteronomy, have the word of the Lord upon our lips. Uh, as we go about our day, right, uh, as and are getting up and are going about and are laying down and are eating, um, 
because that is what's going to make us ready. Because you can see that's what Jesus is telling his disciples what's going on. People are going about their day-to-day life. They're going about things normally. Uh, they're, they're eating, they're drinking, they're getting married, they're going about their work. And those are the precise times that we should have God's Word on our lips. Those are the precise times that we should be meditating and thinking about what the Scriptures teach. Those are the precise times that we can be pulling out our catechisms and and reciting the uh, Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, um, pulling out the the Bible app on our phone or or, or reading our devotions. Um, These are the moments, these are the times as we go out throughout our life that we should be hearing what God has to tell us, especially as we meditate on the gospel, as we meditate on the gifts of Jesus and the life that he provides and and the life that we're anticipating at his return. So as we go about life, as it tells us in Deuteronomy, that's where God's word needs to be. It needs to be everywhere. It needs to be um, constant and consistent because that is what strengthens faith. That is what the Holy Spirit promises to give us uh, in this life, uh, give us faith in this life, uh, that the Holy Spirit works through God's Word. And as God's Word is in our life, as God's Word is about our daily routine, um, that's what makes us ready for the last day. That's what causes us not to be caught unaware. That's what's going to strengthen uh, and sanctify us for the last day. Um, and so as we, as we look at this, this comparison with the time of Noah, it's, it's the preaching and hearing and reading and, and remembering of God's Word um, in every facet of life that is going to prepare us. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're looking at the last part of Matthew chapter 24. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Tuesday, March 24th, we're looking at Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51, with regular guest pastor Jacob Dandy, the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Danny, prior to the break, we were looking at Jesus' opening words concerning his return, his coming on the last day. Only the Father knows that day. And so for us, the message is stay alert, be ready for his coming. It's going to come when things are just going about daily business, like in the days of Noah, so it will be. And, And Jesus, having talked about that, then turns to tell a couple of parables. And they start here in this chapter and continue into the next as he tells several parables about 
life leading up to the last day. And the, the first is just a couple verses long in verses 43 and 44. He talks about a master of the house and a thief coming in the night. What is Jesus saying in that very short parable in verses 43 and 44? Yeah, and actually, Jesus is beginning a series of parables that's going to run all the way to the end of the discourse, um, and there's some connection and and kind of development throughout all of them. And th- this one starts, and it's the it's the shortest one of them, uh, as Jesus talks about the master of the house. And I'll, I'll read it again. Um, it says, "But know this that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake." and he would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not respect. And, or expect, sorry. And so here Jesus likens his return to a thief coming in a night. Um, and um, that was always kind of the, the phrase that I heard as a kid, um, when people started to talk about the return of Jesus, like a thief in the night. And I always thought that was kind of weird um, because, you know, I never really wanted to think about my Lord as a thief. Uh, you know, it just it always seemed kind of odd to me. But there, there's this, this urgency to it because the master of the house was not ready. He did not know when the thief was coming, and his house was broken into. And, and so... There is a negative effect, there is a negative consequence, I guess, to not uh, being watchful for the coming of Jesus. In the same way that the master of the house wasn't watchful for the coming of the thief, and his house gets broken into and ransacked, and he has his possessions taken from him, there's this negative consequence, right, Uh, to when Jesus comes uh, and uh, uh, being caught unaware and unprepared. Uh, and so, a thief doesn't come when you expect him to. Uh, y- you must be on guard. You know, my my wife and I have been looking <coughs> kind of um, into home security improvements and stuff like that and looking at getting security systems because, you know, uh, a thief is going to try to exploit the weaknesses in your house and a thief is going to come when you're either not home or you're asleep or anything like that, and you have to be ready, right? Well, same thing for the return of Christ, right? And, you know, you don't need a home security system for the return of Christ or anything like that, but you must remain faithful uh, because there there is no hindsight for this. After your house gets broken into, that's not the time to put the home security system in. After the t- uh, time that your your home gets ransacked, that's not the time to put the uh, alarms and uh, motion detectors and door sensors into your house, um, because by then it's too late. There there is no going back and fixing it after it happens. And the day of repentance and the day of faith, that day is now. That day is today. Um, the day to um, make yourself ready for the coming of Christ is urgent, right? And that's what Jesus is really, really giving us in this, this short little uh, parable of the master of the house and the thief in the night, is that tomorrow may not afford us the opportunity to be prepared. And so you don't want to repeat the master of the house's mistake. You want to be ready for the Lord's coming. You want to be watchful. You want to be awake, 
Um, and so how do you do that? How does that look, and, and, and where does that go? And, and to see that, Jesus actually leads us into the next uh, brief parable of the, of the faithful and the foolish servant. Um, so how does how does that second parable then begin to unwrap what it means to be ready? That's the command in verse forty four. You also mm-hmm. must be ready. So how does the the next parable, the rest of our text for today, how does it begin to unwrap what Jesus means by being ready? Yeah, and so the the, the parable opens with this this rhetorical question: Who then? is the wise or faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over the household to give them their food at the proper time, right? And he gives us these two examples of servants. First he says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he'll set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at that hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so these these uh, um, servants here, this this kind of comparison between the wise and the faithful and the fool, right, uh, really kind of opens our eyes to, well, well, what does Christ expect us to be doing in the time leading up to his return, right? And so who is the wise and faithful servant but the one who does what the master has commanded um, and not the one who does the opposite? Um, and so as we, we look at this, um, what should we be doing? How should we be aware? How should we be awake? And, and, and how should our life be functioning in anticipation for the coming of the Lord? Well, we should live in our vocations with faith in God and love toward our neighbor. Uh, and that's, that's what Jesus is um, communicating to us here. And it, it actually has a nice parallel um, to... Uh, uh, the parable uh, parable at the end of chapter 25. And actually there's parallels between um, uh, uh, all five of these parables that we're going to see, the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, uh, the sheep and the goats. Uh, but you see at the end of the parable of the sheep and the goats, how does Jesus um, address his sheep? Well, he says, you know, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. Um, and and that's really um, what the sheep are called to do. Uh, we're called to live according to our vocations uh, and love toward our neighbor and faith towards God. And so for all, each of that's, that may mean something different. For you and I as pastors, living in our vocation until the coming of the last day means that we live as stewards of the means of grace. We care for <coughs> the people of God. We, we uh, administer the sacraments. We forgive the sins of the penitent and the faithful. Uh, we rebuke and um, uh, exhort the people of God. Uh, um, we, we preach the law, Right. Um, we go about that, that ministry of shepherd. We visit the sick. We care for the souls of, 
of God's sheep. Uh, but then there's there's the other vocations out there too. Uh, you know, we think about the the three estates. You have the estate of the church, where you have um, pastor and and congregant uh, parishioner. Um, but then you have the estate of of the home, right? Mother, father, children, and you know God actually has specific things that He addresses uh, and tells us to do in that estate in the home. Uh, that that fathers are and husbands are to uh, love their wives, uh, care for them in a sacrificial manner. Um, uh, they are to. Uh, uh, sanctify them, make them holy by bringing them to the church, by teaching them God's word, by speaking tenderly and kindly for them, providing for their bodily needs. Husbands and fathers are fathers are to instruct their children to discipline them in the Lord, right? Um, uh, uh, not provoking them to anger, right? Uh, uh, mothers are to, to love their children, care for them, and nurture them. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Children are to submit and be obedient to their parents, honoring them. And, you know, we can go on and on talking about the vocations that we have in the life of the Christian, right? We, we also then have the vocations that we have out in the world as, as worker and employer. Uh, we have uh, a citizen and ruler, all of these things. God has very specific things to say about how we function and live in these roles. And as we, we do those things, we are living in faith towards God, right? Because, um, you know, sometimes wives don't want to submit to their husbands. Sometimes husbands don't want to sacrifice for their family. Sometimes, um, you know, we, we as children don't want to honor our parents in all circumstances. We, and we can create all sorts of excuses and reasons not to do these things. Uh, in the same way, we can create all kinds of excuses and reasons not to come to church, or pastors can come up with all sorts of excuses not to visit a shut-in, or, um, or or to not be a good citizen, or not to work hard when we go and um, uh, work for our employers, right? But in the midst of these things, God actually says, this is how he has called us to love one another, right? We We have that table of duties in the um, back end of the catechism there um, that that expresses that um, desire um, or that that uh, order of how the faith of God's people should be lived out in love towards one another and it's loved out in duty according to God's word and God's law but then it's also lived out in faith um, it's lived out in faith that um, you know as parents sacrifice for their children that this is a God pleasing a good thing uh, to live out in faith that as we come to church, we are blessed with the gifts of Jesus. Uh, and so we see that uh, God calls us to, to be like that faithful and wise servant, caring for the other servants, right? That, and that's his job, to give them their fruit at the proper time, to, to, uh, to be set over the household in this way. But then you have the, the foolish or the wicked servant, and he says, well, well, my master is delayed. And that, that brings us back to that Psalm 14 reality. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? Jesus isn't coming back. And so what does he do? I, and I love the word that Jesus uses for him. He calls him a hypocrite, right? A play actor. And, and this idea that he's acting as a servant of the master, but his actual work is in defiance of the master, you know, his, his servants, 
um, are beaten. They, they aren't given what they need. They, they aren't. And his duty um, towards his neighbor is not being lived out. Uh, and, and what happens to this hypocrite? Well, uh, he's, he's put in a place where there's weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. He's cut into pieces. He's put away, right? Uh, and, and God warns us against this. And so we, we have that, that call to be on watch, uh, to be ready, to not fall asleep. And, and what does that call consist of and how we actually live our daily life? Well, it consists in caring for your neighbor. It consists in serving God according to your vocation. And, and ultimately, I would probably then broaden it out to say that it consists of living the Christian life of faith in repentance. Right where we we turn from our sin and we trust in the grace of Jesus. Right, you know, repentance has two parts. It's it's contrition over our sin, and it's faith that Christ has the power to forgive sins and does forgive sins. Because who of us has lived in perfect love towards neighbor? Who of us has lived uh, um, perfectly in our vocation? What pastor out there hasn't been a few days or a week or two behind on shut-in visits when, when things get busy, especially in the season of Lent? Or, or what father has um, come home from work and been tired and, and, and been a little lazy and instructing and caring for and playing with his kids? Um, you know, all of these things take place in life. And so over all of this, there's this reminder that we live in contrition and faith. Right, we 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 live the life of repentance, and that's really what makes the heart ready for the coming of Jesus. Hmm. Uh, a couple of thoughts there, Pastor Danny. I love, love everything you had to say there, and and in terms of what is it? Well, two two things. I think I'll start here. One is is just to notice in everything you were saying, the very practical day to day implications of the fact that Jesus is returning. He's returning soon on a day when we do not know. That that fact isn't some sort of ethereal pie-in-the-sky thing such that I sort of, well, I mean, think of the, the apostles on the day of Jesus' ascension. They're sort of just staring up into heaven watching Jesus, and, and the angels come and tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, he's, he's going to be back. <laughs> right. But, but that, that, it has a practical <laughs> effect on our lives that... that knowing that our Lord is returning soon on a day when we don't know that that pushes us forward into lives of of service of because because it's faithfulness to the master and and then the the other thing it, to to talk more about what you were saying about what does it mean to be ready and to be prepared I, I'm reminded of the of the last question that Luther asks in the small catechism concerning the sacrament of the altar what does it mean to receive the sacrament worthily and, and he talks about the one who's, you know, fasting and bodily preparation are great. But what makes one truly worthy and well-prepared is faith. Faith in these words, given and shed for you. And I think we could say something very similar here. That what makes someone ready, to use Jesus' language in verse 44, what, what makes someone uh, awake, to use his language in verse 42, comes down to finally faith. Faith in Christ and his words. What do you think? That, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely it. 
and and living these lives of repentance, living these lives of uh, of service, is living the life of faith, right? It's it's trust that 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 Christ is for me, um, uh, that Christ has has purchased and won me from sin, death, and devil, not with gold or silver, but with his uh, with his precious blood and his innocent suffering and death, right? That I belong to Jesus, and Jesus is coming, and so. Um, what does a faithful servant go about doing but the will of his master? Um, and ultimately, uh, what does a faithful servant look to his master for but his love and his care, right? And, and that's really the center of it all, right? Um, you know, what do we look to Jesus for but forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and salvation, because that's what Jesus has come to bring us. That's what Jesus has offered us, is life and salvation in his name. And that's really what we as Christians expect on the last day. We we don't expect a harsh judgment uh, laid out against us, but we expect Christ coming in tender mercy to gather us to be with him in eternity, to be lifted up in the resurrection of all flesh. Uh, glorified with him to live in our eternal inheritance. That's one of the details about this parable that I really um, enjoyed, that uh, as the master returns to the faithful and wise servant, he says, truly I say to you, uh, he will set him over all his possessions. Um, And, you know, when Christ returns, we as sons of God in Christ, as Christ has now become, uh, in a sense, um, you know, our elder brother, right? Um, As we become children of God in faith through Jesus. When Jesus returns, he comes to bring us to our inheritance. He comes to bring us to eternal life uh, in his name. Uh, And so we look with that day with great anticipation and great joy. Um, But we we also know that... uh, as that day is coming, uh, we have been called into a life of service here and now for the good and benefit of our neighbor. Hmm. Uh, and so how yeah. does one make himself ready, right? You know, well, that's it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Okay. And, and one, of the, one of the things that, that, you know, I mean, I appreciate you bringing out is that it, knowing who the master is it makes all the difference. I, I'm, I'm recalling Jesus' words at the... In the, I guess not quite the end of Matthew 20, but in, in Matthew 20, 28, where Jesus talks about what does it mean to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He talks about being a servant, and he says he is that servant. He's the one who came mm-hmm. not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's that's the master we have, not a, not a cruel tyrant, but one who has come to serve, one who has come to give everything, including his own life, to make us his own. And so to, to be a servant... Of, of that master, uh, this isn't about earning something from him or, or working to, to get a salary from him, but it's rather the, the free gift that he delivers completely by his grace. And, and, and keeping that at the, the center of these parables is very helpful because, you know, as, as we've been talking, a, a lot of, of what we've heard in the text today is warning it is judgment, and, and rightly so. The Lord, with his law, comes to warn us and, and to, to cause us to see our sins. But, but the last day is not only 
to be preached as a warning to Christians, but as, as you were bringing out there, uh, it's a comfort to Christians. It's a joy to Christians knowing who it is who's returning for us to, to raise us from the dead and that we would live in body and soul forever with him. That That's a joy. That's a, a comfort. Uh, Pastor Danny, we've got about five minutes left here on the morning for you to, to respond to any of that, to talk more about the comfort of the last day and to, to summarize everything we've been talking about. Yeah, uh, and so... Uh, first, we, 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 we as Christians should look at this text and say, how have I been made ready? Right? Um, how does how one made ready for the return of Jesus? How is one watchful for the last day? Well, and from the lessons that, that Jesus gives us, it, it's, it's faith, right? It's, it's the Word of God. As you brought out very, very well, um, that Mo, no, Moses was a, or no, Moses, Noah um, uh, was a preacher of God, right? Um, that we appeal to the preaching of God's word, that we that we hear and live in in what God has given us, uh, and to to know and stay awake, right? Um, you know, what does it mean to stay awake? What does it mean to be made ready? What does it mean to be watchful for the last day? Well, it means that we live lives of repentance under the wonderful means of grace that God has given us while serving our neighbor's needs according to what God has called us to do, whatever our vocation may be. And so we live the life of Christian love. We live the life in true repentance, right? And so that Christian love and that true repentance, by the way, is lived out beautifully in worship. It is lived out beautifully in the divine service as the people of God gather together in confession that we are sinners, in confession that we need Christ's mercy and grace, and in the wonderful reception of the forgiveness of sins, the wonderful blessing of the grace of Christ. As Jesus, um, you know, we, we always look for Jesus' return on the last day, but but that doesn't mean that Jesus is far off and distant from us. Jesus is imminently close to his church. He, he, he's never that far off. He, he, uh, he leaves us with that promise in Matthew 28, uh, Verily I am with you always to the very end of the age. And, and he is with us. He's with us in the means of grace. He's with us as we go about our life and our baptism uh, as that, that baptism uh, does what God promised it to do, as it, as it daily works faith and repentance in our life. He's with us in his word. He's with us in, in the wonderful blessing of the Lord's Supper. Christ is near to us, and he is the one who is working to make us ready for the last day. He is the one who is going about caring for his church. He is the one who sends his spirit um, uh, to bear fruit in the life of believers. He's the one who, who works love for our neighbor in our hearts. Uh, and he's the one who forgives our sins. Uh, and so as we, as we look at this and we, we think about all these 
these kind of exhortations and these warnings about not knowing the day or the hour, um, these exhortations and these warnings about being awake and staying watchful uh, for the return of the Son of Man, right? We remember that our preparedness, our watchfulness, our eyes being open and not asleep on the last day, that too is a gift from Jesus. That too is Jesus' promise at work and us every day of our lives. That Jesus is, is the one carrying us um, to the very last moment, right? Um, either that being his return or, or that even that day that we, we fall asleep in Christ, um, that we enter that, that blessed rest still anticipating the last day. You know, I remember um, as a young pastor um, dealing with kind of my first bedside um, person who was dying, right, and and sitting at that person's bedside talking to them, very consciously aware um, that they're they're about to die, right, and and you know those those general fears about death are there, those anxieties about death are there. And yet, the thing that gave him the most comfort is me pointing him back to the event that happened 70-some-odd years before. It was his baptism. And saying, Christ has carried you from that moment, and he will carry you to the very last moment. According to the gift and promise of that baptism, he has made you a disciple. He has given you faith. And he will verily be with you always to the very end of the age. And that's a promise of Jesus. That's Jesus at work for us, right? And and we live that promise out, too, as we read the Word, as we receive the Lord's Supper on Sunday. These are all wonderful blessings to us as the people of God, knowing that Christ is persevering in us to carry us to his return. Pastor Jacob Dandy is the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. Pastor Dandy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.